Hello and welcome to Mindset Musings Podcast, recorded from officially the most entrepreneurial city in the country, Portsmouth. Ben Miles, co-founder of one of the UK's largest music festivals, and Cy Gardner, co-founder of one of the hot 100 and fastest growing recruitment companies in Britain, search far and wide for what drives the most successful people from their chosen sectors, business, leadership, sports, and media. Now over to Ben and Simon for this week's show. After starting her career as an estate agent in Hampshire, this week's guest burst onto our screens in the mid-90s as the face of Scottish Widows. She very nearly, however, didn't go to the audition, as it was her birthday. Since this big break, Amanda Lamb continued her modelling career before launching into TV presenting in the early 2000s. Amanda talks to us about the resilience and mindset required to succeed in an industry where work can be plentiful or sporadic within the space of a few months, the pressures of social media, and why she will always be known as the kindest person to have ever potentially committed breaking and entering. Uh, we'd like to welcome to the podcast this week, Amanda Lamb. Hello, how are you? I'm really well, thank you. How are you? Yes, good. Thank you very much. Thanks for coming on to chat to us. You're so um, first, of all, first off, just wanted to ask you um, about your career, really. Where did you start and, and how did it progress? Well, I started working at 15 in an estate agent's in Havant. Um, and then I moved on to another estate agent's in Portsmouth. And I was quite happy with my lot in life doing that. I loved it. I really loved being an estate agent. And I loved, I mean, I always remember on my breaks, I used to drive down to Southie Seafront and sit with my friend who also worked at the same estate agents. And we'd sit and listen to Simon. Was it Simon Bates's our tune at 11 o'clock? Yeah. I mean, we didn't get any work done. It was brilliant. And we'd sit there and listen to our tune and then drive back to the office. But the actual... I guess what you would call modeling and presenting career came about when I was 21 and I went up to the clothes show live exhibition, which I'm really old now, like I'm 48. So the clothes show live was almost like a religious experience. I mean, when the clothes show was on every Sunday night, everyone would stop what they were doing and watch this program. And then they started doing exhibitions. And so I went, went up to Olympia in London and um, I got spotted by four different agencies and they were big agencies. And they were like, we think it would work. Would you be up for, for you know, giving it a go? My dad thought I was mad because I came back to Portsmouth and I said, look, these guys have offered me this, this job. You know, shall I go up and give it a go? And my dad was like, what do you want to do that for? You know, you've got an amazing job. Why do you want to give it all up? And my mum was like, go, go, you know, just go. And if it all goes wrong, you can always come back. So I drove up the A3 in my knackered old Ford Escort and didn't work for a year <laughs> because I started modelling just as the whole Kate Moss and heroin chic thing 
came about and I rocked up with like you know boobs and hips and curves and they took one look at me and was like ah yeah you've missed the boat the supermodel curvy era was about you know six months ago so I didn't work for it was a year I mean I, I cleaned houses I worked in a bar but I didn't give up because I liked it up there and I thought oh god this is quite interesting so I, I I just kept going and then and then Scottish Widows came about so you know then it sort of made a bit of a a bit of a change. I was going to ask you about that um, because that's what most people will probably know you for from from the early days of your career. Mm. Um, would you say that was your your big break that opened a lot of doors for you? It was a really interesting one because it did open a lot of doors, but it also had a sort of slight flip side because I couldn't talk in the commercial in the commercials. You know, I was meant to be all sort of enigmatic and mysterious so although you saw my face you didn't see anything else it was all cloaked wasn't it it was all very mysterious so a lot of the time I didn't get jobs because it was so recognizable and a lot of the time because I wasn't sort of using my personality as such you know it it was a sort of double-edged sword, but having said that, it was the most amazing gig. You know, like I got to, I was, I was photographed by David Bailey. Um, I got flown all over the world to do the commercials. We we shot, ironically, we never shot them in Scotland. We we did them in in Spain and France and South Africa, um, and that was an incredible experience. You know, there's a girl from Lee Parks. You know, stood in these Drakensberg mountain regions with like zebras roaming around the fields, thinking, "What have I? How how has this happened?" So, it was a lovely thing to be a part of. You know, it was an incredible gig to have. How did how did you get that gig out of interest? I very nearly didn't because the casting was on my birthday, and I'm born in July, so it was a baking hot day, and I'd arranged to go to Richmond Park for a picnic with some friends, and I got the call saying. There's a commercial casting in, in central London. And I was like, oh, you've got to be joking. It's such a faff. And I went in, in any case, because, you know, I've got FOMO and I didn't want to, I didn't want to miss out. So I went in and I remember opening the door and there must have been, God, I don't know, 80 girls in there. And just thinking, oh. and it is, it's quite soul destroying casting, uh, you know, whether you're an actress or a model or whatever, it can be quite soul destroying experience anyway I sat in this sweaty little room for about god must have been about three hours and they had the cloak you had to put the cloak on and sort of swan around in the cloak and then it went down to 20 girls then it went down to 10 girls then it went down to two girls and rumor has it I wasn't Scottish Widow's choice they wanted the other girl but the director of the commercial wanted me and I think he shouted louder. So I thank him for that. <laughs> um, because if he'd, if he'd have gone for the other girl as well, it would have been a completely different story. It, it, it must have been such a strange experience and probably still is to just, you know, either win or lose jobs just based on purely on what you look like. Um, oh, God, it's th awful. Thankfully, I've never had that because otherwise <laughs> I wouldn't really have ever had a job. Um, but how, how, how does that feel? And how does that differ from the sort of TV side where, you know, a bit of talent comes into it? It does, but it's still, both jobs are so um, toss of a coin, you know. It, it, yes, you've got, to, you've got to have a, oh God, it's really difficult, isn't it? The, the one job that I really kicked myself missing out on was the uh, Martini commercial with George Clooney. 
that went to Lisa Snowden, but I went up for that gig. And again, I think I got down to like the last five. <laughs> and then, I read, then when I read that she was going out there, I was like, God damn it, that could have been me. <laughs> um, but I think it's the same for a lot of people. You know, you imagine the amount, I often think about, imagine being the second choice of the Harry Potter lot, like you mm. properly keep yourself then, wouldn't you? Imagine if you were that kid and you'd got right the way down to the last two and it was between you and Daniel Radcliffe. Yeah. You'd be like, gosh it's hard and you do have to develop a thick skin and in some ways I think losing jobs in tv which happens literally on a weekly basis is is harder than modeling because I think with modeling you either fit the brief or you don't fit the brief you know you're either you're either right or you're not but with tv a lot of the time because it's your personality as well, it is difficult to not take that personally and think, God, you know, what, what's what's wrong with me? <laughs> um, so yeah, it is hard, but you do develop a very thick skin. And I think modeling was really good for me for that because every single day, my nose was too big, my hips were too big. I wasn't the right shape. I looked like somebody else. I was too similar to this person. We're not really into that. We really want a blonde. So you got so used to that. It almost became just like blah, 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 just sort of noise in your head. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, my, my skin is quite thick now. And then obviously just on the TV side of things. So, you know, as the modelling career was developing, how, how did the TV aspect begin? Well, the modelling career did suited me really well for about six or seven years. So I started when I was 21 and I got to about 28 and I thought, Do you know what? I'm a bit bored of this now. Like I was never going to be on the cover of Vogue. I was never going to be Helena Christensen. God damn it. So I then started to think, actually, I need to start thinking about something else. I need to start thinking about what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And I've never had a game plan. Everything has just sort of happened. And so I decided I was going to go back to school because I left, um, I left, I went to Oak Park in, in Lee Park and I left when I was 15 with a handful of GCSEs. Um, and so I didn't really have, you know, I never went to university, I never went to college. So I wanted to become a teacher. I mean, thank God I never did because I've had to homeschool my own kids for nearly a year now and it's nearly broken me. Like I am definitely not teacher material. But the day that I went back to college to start my teacher training calls, I got a phone call from a place in the sun. And they were looking for people that had property experience, which I did, because I had five years of actually being a proper estate agent. Um, And they wanted someone that was okay in front of a camera. Um, And I'd been for a couple of like TV auditions, because it all sort of blurs into one. Like talking about jobs I lost out on, I lost out on the big breakfast when Kelly Brook got that. So that was one that I didn't get. So I'd done a couple of little screen tests for TV shows, but I'd never really, you know, got anything. And so I went to this random house in East in the East End of London. Um, it was the director of, of the show, the producer of the show. And I just did a screen test. And then they called and said, we'd like you to do it. Um, six, six episodes I was supposed to do. And that was back in 1999, 2000. And so it just went from there. I was very lucky. Very lucky. Just, just, just on that. I mean, aside from the, you know, the knockbacks and the, um, and the, and the screen tests that maybe didn't go so well. Yeah. What, what kind of other struggles and challenges have you found in the, you know, working your way up in both the modelling side when that was going on and also the TV since? 
I think both jobs are very similar. So, you know, number one, you've got to get used to rejection every single week at some point. You, you, you know, there is some form of rejection going on. Um, so you need to get used to that. The other thing that I think is really important is to be nice to everybody. Um, because when you're working on, on again, whether you're modeling or, or, or TV presenting, every job you will have a different set of people. It's not like going to an office every day where you've got the same people, the ones that drive you nuts, the ones that you get on with, the ones that you can't bear. Every single job is completely different. And it's really, really important to be nice to everybody <laughs> because sometimes they could become commissioning editors in a few years' time. So I think that's one piece of advice I'd give to anyone thinking of doing this is, is be nice to everyone. Um, there was one time I wasn't very nice to a director who drove me nuts and I remember walking away from her rather than being confrontational and kicking. I was in the south of France and I, I was filming A Place in the Sun and I remember kicking this concrete flower pot really hard because I was so mad at her and uh, I was wearing flip-flops so that's never a good idea either <laughs> but yeah I think it's I think try and be nice to as many people as you can um and and yeah get used to the rejection because it is there and and it doesn't really go away just on that note of uh rejection and, and mm -hmm. being judged on your looks do you think nowadays with the Instagram generation, let's say with the younger crowd, uh, I mean, I'm assuming you may tell me different when you were younger, um, you'd arrange photo shoots and have a portfolio, which you'd send off for gigs. Mm. Um, nowadays it's, you know, there's editing tools on your iPhone and Instagram yeah. accounts. Do you think it's made it um, easier for younger people to get into the industry or is it, is it just different challenges? Do you know, it's a really good question. You see, when I was modeling, there was no such thing as a mobile phone. You know, we would, the photographer would take a Polaroid and then stick it under his armpit to warm up. I can remember them just walking around like for two minutes for this thing and then peeling it back and then having a look at it just to check that the lighting and everything was right. And then old fashioned, God, I'm old, old fashioned film, you know, and they would take maybe, I don't know, a hundred shots and then you'd get the light box and you'd go over it and you would choose which one was was the best there was no oh look you know she hasn't got a thigh gap there let's just take a couple of inches off each thigh or you know that that waist needs thinning a bit so there was no such thing as airbrushing or touching up so in a way I think it was a much easier time because although supermodels or models still looked incredible and that was because, you know, we were in, we were in, you know, the studio for sort of three hours before we even got put in front of a camera. What you saw was what you got, you know, um, whereas now what you see is not at all what you get. Um, you know, things have been tweaked and filters and, and all of this kind of thing. So it is a totally, totally different concept. I mean, I'm the mother of two daughters. One is 12 and one is, is seven. And, especially the 12 year old, you know, I keep trying to explain to her that everything that she sees isn't necessarily a true representation of what that person looks like. That's a really good point you make. Uh, and a, a good question to follow on that I had for you. Do you, um, you've obviously explained there, you, you try and communicate to your daughters um, mm. about it. Do you see that as a, as a negative issue in the world today for young people? Um, thinking that 
that what they're seeing is real and that they need to be living up to that and also how, what's your thoughts on on um body beautiful as it were i think it's i think it's important that that the youth of today um are aware that it's not necessarily what you see is what you get you know i showed my daughter it's funny because I, I saw something on instagram the other day about the ideal body shape and how it's changed in the last sort of 60 70 years um, and they had sort of Marilyn Monroe in the in the 50s, who was a size 16. And then they had Twiggy and then they had um, Cindy Crawford and then it was Kate Moss. And it was and then the Kardashians, who I still cannot fathom out what the Kardashians are all about. But so different. And, and she looked at all the pictures. And she was like, wow, mommy, they are completely different. I think, ironically, it must be harder for men now than it was 10, 15 years ago. Um, because I think it's not just a female dominated issue anymore. The men seem to be getting in on the act as well. So th there seems to be a lot of um, a lot of perfection to try and live up to. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, you know, technology has changed and, and you know, with it, you know, most industries. So you know, how, how's kind of maintaining your brand changed over that period? Oh God, it's interesting that one. I mean, my brand is, I never really think of myself as a brand. Do you know what I mean? I sort of just crack on with whatever comes my way. I think it's, I mean, from a personal level, it's changed completely. God, you know, in my thirties, I was, I was single. I was traveling the world doing place in the sun. I could take any job I wanted at the drop of a hat. Um, and then I had babies, which meant that I didn't want to be away. I didn't want to travel. Um, and that, had its sort of challenges well you know as as all people with with children know <laughs> it has its challenges so my brand is sort of i guess is it if you look at the trajectory it's been a bit like a kind of roller coaster you know it went up and then it went down and then at a place in the sun and then it went really quiet for a while and now it's coming back up again because i've got a new show that i'm just about to start filming which is lovely um instagram I finally got my butt into gear and started doing that, um, which I'm actually really enjoying. So, yeah, it's sort of I think it's constantly evolving. And I think that's the thing is to try and not reinvent yourself because, you know, I'm way too long in the tooth for that. But to just constantly look at different things. I finally got the hang of reels. I mean, that's just farcical. <laughs> like this nearly 50 year old woman attempting to do reels, which is just a joke. But I think it's working out what your audience wants as well. Do you know what I mean? That's another, that's another important thing. You know, it's no good me trying to do TikTok because that would just be completely ridiculous. Um, but Instagram works and it works for my, for my followers and it works for my brand. So uh, definitely. I mean, you, you, you know, you touched there on the ups and the downs and the foreign travel and the, you, you know, the, the periods without work, et cetera, et cetera. Um, are there any, from a mindset perspective, are there, are there any strategies, you know, either consciously or maybe subconsciously that, that you use to sort of overcome those stressful times um, and, and those periods where you need to reset a bit? Yeah. And I think you've hit the nail on the head. The word reset is exactly that. You know, I have tried all sorts of different coping strategies, including hiding under a duvet. I find that one quite good. <laughs> um, but I think now looking back at all the times that I've had struggles and I've had troubles, I think knowing that there is an end to it, you know, it, it's life is very cyclical. 
and and it will always end you know this you know the classic expression this too shall pass it will you know you think back to last year when we were right uh, well it was this time last year wasn't it when we were all just on the precipice of this of this covid and nobody knew what it was or we were all thinking oh it'll only take a you know cut a couple of weeks and we'll be back to normal again and then right in the depths of it where you were just like i am never ever going to see normality and all of a sudden it's like actually we're almost there you know and i think that's the same with anything whether it's whether it's a job or whether it's a relationship or or whatever it does pass and i think I've stopped, I've been always been really guilty of planning ahead. I've never been in the now. I never just do this, you know. I never just think I'm going to do a podcast with you guys. I'm like, right, I'm going to go and do it. And then tomorrow I'm going to do this. And at the weekend. So I've really fought hard to just stop and be in the now. And I think that actually is quite is quite an interesting and useful tool. That's really interesting you say that. We've had a conversation on this podcast mm. about uh, enjoying the process. Um, yeah. So not getting too fixated on the end goal, but enjoying the process along the way. Um, Absolutely. Because time. I mean, we we all had COVID, all of us, the whole family. Like you know, we, my husband and I had it at the beginning, um, well, in March and April of last year, and then my daughter got it in December. And in December, we all had to isolate for ten days because she tested positive. And so for those 10 days, ironically, and she was actually, you know, thank God, okay, she just had a bit of a headache and was a bit sort of lethargic for three days. But for those 10 days, we couldn't do anything. We couldn't go anywhere. We couldn't see anyone. We had to stay in. And once we got our head around that, we had a really nice time, you know? We watched movies, we hung out, we actually spoke to each other. Um, and it was really interesting because we couldn't plan anything because we couldn't do anything. Most people, uh, they have high points, they have low points, as you mentioned, cyclical. Mm. Um, we've touched on your break with Scottish Widows and, and going into TV presenting. Is there any particular high point of your career? And, and a second part to that question, could you identify maybe the lowest point of your mm. career, which, is, which has helped you project onwards? Yeah, no, very much so. I think there's been lots and lots of high points. Um, I think Place in the Sun was probably right in the sort of the thick of it, I would say kind of 2005, 2006, when it was prime time, Channel 4, and, you know, watched by three, four, five million viewers. And I was traveling, I remember being in Fiji, and I remember walking along a beach in Fiji, and, and doing this piece to camera and thinking, I'm in Fiji, you know, like someone's flown me here, business class as well, you know, this is a kid from a council estate just outside of Portsmouth. And I'm like, I'm in Fiji and I'm doing a show about buying properties in beautiful locations. This is pretty special. And then I got um, a job called Market Kitchen where I worked with um, Matt Tebbit who does Saturday Kitchen now. And I, oh my God, I loved that show. Basically we spent all day eating food cooked by amazing chefs like Tom Kerridge and Jamie Oliver and James Martin. That was a good one. And then lots and lots of other lovely property shows. And then the worst part, would have been 2016 when literally the it just stopped. I didn't get any phone calls. Series that I was doing wasn't recommissioned. And then that was it. And then I was like, oh, you know, I was 45 at the time. And I'd gone from being busy all the time 
to literally tumbleweeds. And that was hard. That was really difficult because for the first couple of months, you just think, oh, well, you know, it's because there's not a lot going on at the moment. And then you start to think there is a lot going on at the moment, but there's not a lot going on for me. So what have I done? You know, what, what has changed? And that was really hard. That was a good couple of years of just not having a Scooby-Doo of what I was going to do the rest of my life. Um, I was actually reading an article um, about Michael Underwood, who's a kids TV yeah. presenter in that, in that, exa- um, that, you know, I think that was only this week and the exact same thing happened to him. So he's yeah. now, uh, he's now a, a secondary school teacher, I believe. Yeah. Um, and we were having a conversation with, you know, with another guest in the last couple of days, who's a, who's a well-known commentator. Um, and, he, you know, he was talking about the security of, of, of his role. Mm. Um, you know, how, how do you try and mitigate the, the sort of, you know, fits and spurts of, 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 of these job offers? It's so hard. You know, it's a really difficult thing to do. And I think to the point that I, yeah, book a holiday. That's what I would say. Always book a holiday because the day that you book it is the day that you get the phone call for a job. <laughs> so if anyone is desperate, spend loads of money on a holiday that you can't cancel and then you'll get a job. Because um, I remember last year, uh, we have a little house down um, on the coast of Devon. And I and I got down there on the, sun, on the Sunday, ready to spend the whole of the August summer holidays down there. And on the Tuesday, I got an offer of a 10 part series for the Discovery Channel. So, you know, and it literally came out of the blue. And to be honest, I, I wish I could answer that question, but I can't particularly in my in my line of business. You know, it's not like working in IT or or you know, I don't know, the hospitality industry or whatever. It's such a hit and miss arbitrary lifestyle. You you have no clue what's around the corner. And and maybe that's something that that kind of keeps you going and, and, and stops you from giving up. Because I have come close a few times in the last few years where I've just thought, right, that's it. I'm going to literally give up. I'm going to not have an agent anymore. I'm just going to stop. But then there's always that little niggle that sort of says, oh, go on, just keep going. You never know what's going to happen. You know, you never know what's around the corner. How has your public persona impacted on your private projects uh, or, or life away from the camera? Has it always been positive and do people feel like they know you when they first meet you? It's always really interesting. Um, I've, I've suddenly turned into my mother. I now don't go out of the house without any makeup on. She would, She's never, ever left the house without makeup. And I used to go out all the time looking like cack. And it was pretty much guaranteed that if I was in Sainsbury's with a hangover, someone would come up... And it's weird how people, a lot of the time nowadays, I get people thinking that I'm a school mum or something and they'll go, oh, oh no, you're not, are you? And then it's really embarrassing because then, then they realise that they don't know me from school, but they've seen me on the telly. Um, when I used to do Scottish Widows, I used to sometimes get people that would just shout Scottish Widow at me as I was walking down the street, <laughs> which is always a bit odd because it's like, how are you going to, how do you respond to that? But yeah, I most of the time people have been lovely you know they'll be I, I do remember once being in a service station and somebody coming up to me and going oh you're Kirsty Olsoff aren't you and I'm like no I'm not <laughs> and she went, oh, no, no, you're the other one and I went yeah that's right and she went I have to just say you're much prettier and thinner in real life than you are on the telly <laughs> and she just <laughs> left and I'm there going um I think that's a compliment but I'm not quite sure <laughs> So the vast majority of the time, people are really lovely and it doesn't really impact. Um, 
unless I'm telling the kids off in the park or something and then you know my husband would be like public space public space so I tried because <laughs> again guaranteed you know that's when I get that's when I'll get spotted but it hasn't really impacted you know I haven't got paparazzi outside the door or anything or well, not anymore in any case I used to sometimes in place in the Sundays but nowadays they've got far more interesting people to follow do you, do you get back to Portsmouth much and, you know, do you, do you sort of think back as your, your time as an estate agent and any sort of funny stories from that period? Oh, God. Do you know, I still love Portsmouth. I still love the South Coast. My mum lives in Cow Plain now and my dad is right in the in the shadow of Fratton Park. So, you know, I still come down and actually what I need to start doing um because when I go down, I go and see my parents and I hang out with them and then I come home again. But recently I went, to, well, not recently, pre-COVID, I went to see my dad. And then I went along and took the girls down to the Hot Walls and we went down to Savsey Castle. And it's so different now to when I was growing up. You know, when I was growing up, I'm trying to, I was trying to think about the nightclubs that were around when, and um, Joanna's was still going. Can I just say I've never been in, ever? Fact. But we used to go to the pyramids. Remember the pyramids? That, yeah. that club that was at the pyramids and fifth avenue they were the sort of places that we used to hang out and ellie jay's in um guild hall walk yeah. which was like religion like you, you we used to go every single sunday night and i remember you used to say to my friend ruby oh, could you imagine not coming here could you imagine staying in on a saturday on a sunday night and now like oh. <laughs> the other week i sat watching antiques road show and thinking back to those ellie jay days and just thinking oh it was like a lifetime ago but yeah, I do come down a lot and I loved working as an estate agent there. I used to work for GA Property Services opposite um, Waitrose in Marmion Road. Lots and lots and lots of stories. Would you like a couple? Go for it. Yeah, yeah. In fact, in fact, I have to talk to whoever it was that used to live in um, number two Bolton Road um, in the early 90s because we'd had this house on forever like I mean well we must have been trying to sell it for about eight eight or nine months and um it was on with every single estate agent in Portsmouth and it was owned by a guy who used to have it as a student house um when he was when he was in the university there and he used to come down and use it at the weekends and basically trash it it was like men behaving badly you can imagine can't you and I had a viewing there on a Saturday morning so I went and I um went in about 20 minutes beforehand with two bin bags and some rubber gloves and I basically cleared the place like I made the beds I sorted the toilets out I got rid of all the ashtrays there were curry cartons everywhere opened all the windows spruced it up did the viewing and then on Monday morning we got an offer I was like yes so I called him and I was like oh Mr whatever his name was um good news we've, we've got an offer on the house and there was this silence and he was like I sold it four months ago through the Halifax. So whoever <laughs> bought the house from them was as messy as he was, but never changed the lock. So if you ever lived at number two, Bolton Road, it was me that tidied your house up. That's, that's a great, great story. Um, right, we're conscious we're running out of time. So just one final question, uh, just about future plans and ambitions, really. What, what projects have you got in the pipeline and, and what other stuff are you hoping to, to achieve? So I'm about to start in May. I'm starting the second series of a show that I'm doing for Discovery called My Mortgage Free Home, which does what it says on the tin. We take people that have got equity in their in their properties and they want to use that equity to buy a house outright 
and free themselves of a mortgage. So we're casting actually. So if anyone is interested in taking part, there's a production company called Raise the Roof Productions and we are casting for that at the moment. So I'd quite like to come down and do one in Portsmouth actually, because I think the closest we got last time was um, was Dorset, which doesn't really count. So Portsmouth would be great. So if anyone is looking, um, I would love to do something with that. And then basically, as we've talked about through the entire podcast, I'm going to wing it. I've managed to wing it for the past three decades. So I reckon I'm just going to keep doing that. Uh, Amanda, thanks so much for your time and talking to us on the Mindset Musings podcast and um, all the best for your future endeavours. Thank you both so much for listening to me waffle on for a long time. Thanks, Amanda. See you soon. Bye. Yeah, really, really interesting chat there with um, with Amanda. Um, what a lovely lady! Lovely, like, lovely you know, lady. Lovely lady, just a lovely chat. And um, obviously, you know, we we don't want the consistent theme to be Portsmouth here, but we are two lads from Portsmouth, and um, you know, I think the I think the city does get overlooked sometimes. I think it is it's, it's an important place, a lovely place these days to to to, to come and visit. Um, but yeah, it's it's nice to see someone locally that, that's you know gone and achieved things, and and she, you know, again we we've had quite a few modest people on this podcast so far, haven't we? But um, certainly puts things down to a lucky a lucky break, you know, her sort of catchphrase, if you like, was was sort of like winging it, um, and she she might well think that, although you know, again, she just might be being modest, but. You know, I, I'm a firm believer, and I know you are. If if you do things that other people aren't prepared to do, um, you will end up getting results that other people haven't either had yet or, or won't ever get. Um, and you know, I, I know you're big on the sort of luck side of things. Um, but you know, she she her lucky break, if you like, um, was was Scottish widows. But let's face it, she went to she went to an audition. You know, cancelled her birthday arrangements, went to an audition on her birthday, 80 people were there. Um, you know, she wasn't first choice, she fought to for now and 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 ended up getting that gig. And you know, a lot of other people would have would have said, Oh, you know what, it's a bank I it's a bank I haven't really heard much about. I'll, I'll, I'll wait till the next one. Yeah, and don't forget she mentioned she um went it was almost a year i think she said without work at all yeah. and she had to fall back on cleaning jobs um and and bits of other part-time work um so my as you mentioned it's a it's a thing that i'm big on i i wouldn't say it was luck um in, in terms of pure luck um she'd gone out she'd started doing some modeling putting herself putting her portfolio around, making some contacts, networking. Like you say, she went to that audition on her birthday. Um, so for me, she she had toiled a little bit um, before she got that lucky break, let's say. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the luck was earned, I think, for her. Yeah, no, no I totally agree. And I think, um, you know, just on the networking thing, um, you know, networking in the early 90s was a big, big, you know, uh, difference to to you know to to the present times we find ourselves in, you know professionally you've got LinkedIn, you know semi professionally if you like you've got Instagram you've got Facebook you've got ways of, of networking with people that you might never even meet face to face, whereas she her tip was to be nice to everyone and and I think you know um, it's so true you know back, you know back in the nineties you, you know you, you can imagine these things where people do trampoline through careers 
you know, you see, you see the likes of Chris Evans and stuff. They start start as presenters. They end up as, you know, almost bigger than the the radio station or the TV station that they started presenting at. You know, these people have got big say's in, in, in what happens. So to have a to have a career that there's, there's going to be meaningful and and you know if you if you end up meeting 500 or a thousand influential people during your career just being nice to them is is half the battle especially in the 90s where it's either done on landline letter or face to face yeah that's that's right and uh, i was really really impressed with her attitude around that um and especially towards body image where her mindset towards it was nowadays um, self-consciousness amongst, um, well, everyone, but especially younger people, as we talked about with the Instagram generation, is quite a big thing. But she kind of channeled her mindset into the fact where she was used to being told that she was too curvy or, you know, she worked in an industry where you were told, like, your certain features on your face didn't fit the the profile. And rather than letting that uh, affect you personally and being becoming self-conscious and too self-aware um she just quickly recognized that it was just part of the job and part of the industry that she was in um and she just moved on to to another audition or another gig and you know that's not to say that any form of discrimination is acceptable um but it's just interesting how she formed her mindset just to to become aware of that's how the industry operated and she wanted to succeed she just needed to uh like you say network and and follow follow opportunities when they came around for her yeah again you know sort of a sign of the times um back then you know i mean you you made a great point that you know people you, you had to get a sort of portfolio together and you know mail it off or courier it off to people no doubt or get it reprinted or whatever um and you are walking into rooms where people you know just instantly judge kind of what you're looking like um these days i, I don't know the industry i don't know the modeling industry as you can probably tell um but um you know um these days they've probably got a pretty pretty good idea about what you look like um from your social media and stuff like that before they even call you in um but back then it was you know it's, it's like a wedding album type type feel of a, a thing under your arm and in you go so it's you know it's almost the equivalent of sort of door-to-door sales it's it's, it's the hardest you know it's the hardest sort of school of knocks that, you, that obviously you're going to face um I, I, I like the I like the bit also you know and I think this has been key for everyone over the last 12 months where she had that time of her family <clears throat> in December to just kind of reset and you know reconnect um and you know i mean i've got two young kids i know i know you have um i mean at the moment mine are, mine are at the age that 10 days inside would be you know pretty tough um but I, I can really see the value in 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 connecting with people you know we 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 kind of have it here at, at the company that kind of me and the co-founders built here you know when we when we it's obviously not a family setting although they're, they're probably the closest to family that I've that I've got outside of my family, if you like, you know, they I do class the original founders as brothers, let's say. And when we first started, you know, we were we were in a room, just two of us. Then there was four of us. Then there was five, and we had that family environment. And even before COVID, you know, we've we've got a, uh, an office for for a hundred people here now. Um, and quite often, you'll go two three months without actually speaking to face to face or conversing with someone that you used to see used to sit next to as a as a as a co-founder unless you arrange a, a specific meeting and i think you know that's what i've 
learned I, kind of over the past 12 months is, is to have that FaceTime with people, family or otherwise, and just to talk and reconnect about things that aren't of the immediate importance. You know, who's unpacking the dishwasher? Who's doing this? Who's picking so-and-so up? I think it's really key. And I think you know, those conversations need to need to carry on in, 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 in the new world, if you like. Yeah, no, I agree. And uh, just to touch on the point again, I think we've already discussed probably part of the reason behind us doing this podcast um, to just share people's stories and share our own stories is like you say, the last year has been tough for a lot of people, but the, one of the positives to come out of it has been the, the, the family time, um, more engagement. And I don't think it's until you have your circumstances forcibly changed on you that you realize these things. So as much as I, wish COVID hadn't happened uh, and all the heartache that it brought with it. Um, I do think it's important to also look at the positives that come come from it, whether that's um, more engagement time with your family. Maybe you're thinking about doing the career change that, that you've never really had the confidence to do. Um, or maybe you're thinking about pushing on and building bigger plans for, for stuff you're already doing. That's it for another Mindset Musings podcast. Thank you for listening. We really do appreciate our listeners and the feedback that we receive. We hope you have either been entertained or gained something of value from the show. If you have, can we please ask you to leave us a five-star iTunes review or a review wherever you feel is relevant. Please feel free to follow us on Instagram at mindset.musings. Our personal Insta handles are included in the bio. Drop us a DM. We'd love to hear from you. See you next time.